Here we are. Wait, is it recording? Bokir Tov, it's recording. So no, no more, no joking. Uh, okay. Okay. So we are starting Psuche de Zimra, page 16 in the Sidur Sim Shalom, the weekday one. Do you want me to repeat the thing from the end last time? Yes, and I said to Meyer when we were wrapping up last time about about um, Birchot HaShachar, and he came over to me afterwards and said something. I said, you should say that at the beginning of class next time. What was it? I was just saying about how in Tefillah we're supposed to do the praise when we come, as I, like before you come into a king's chamber, the uh-huh. idea is you're supposed to praise the king before yeah. you ask for anything, before yes. the other forms of prayer that we do. And the, the preface of this is, I think, set up for that. Essentially, it's taking the same form in which we're basically starting with a bunch of praise Good. Before we sort of move into the next portion. Good. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for kicking us off. So, and Birchot HaShachar, last week we reviewed, this week we'll just review the review uh, in a sentence. I think it, it, it in Birchot HaShachar we contemplate, I, I kept on saying the physical world, I thought about it afterwards. What I meant is our creaturely selves. So in Birchot HaShachar we contemplate our creaturely existence. Now we move on to Psuche de Zimra, Psalms of Praise, which is mostly Psalms. Uh, it's not really, it's about two-thirds Psalms. Um, and it is enclosed in an envelope. The envelope is a bracha at the beginning, a bracha at the end. The bracha at the beginning is Baruch Shamar, and the bracha at the end is what? What's that bracha at the end of Psuche de Zimra, the Psalms of Praise? Yishtavach, right? Okay, so that encloses, that is an envelope. They both have uh, in them key words that says what we're doing. It has like lahodot, lahalel, shabayach, words like that, right? So we're praising. So in this section, we are praising God. Um, and it's kicked off with Baruch Shamar. And what you'll notice is on page 16, Baruch Shamar, Baruch Shamar, what we call Baruch Shamar is really two separate things which our Sidur editor has highlighted for you by printing them separately. Um, we think of it as one prayer, but it's really composed of two blocks. The first part is this, when you list things with some repeated word in a prayer, it's called a litany. That's the word for, uh, like, Avinu Malkeinu is a litany. Um, you know, other things that have the same refrain or the same opening are a litany, okay? So this is a litany. That's the first half. The second half is the actual blessing. Notice it's only the second part, the big paragraph at the bottom of the page, that actually starts Baruch Hashem. So that is actually, so the second half of the page is actually the blessing which opens Psuke de Zimra. So the first half, Baruch Shamar, is kind of, is really just a poem Okay, it's a litany, that's the type of prayer it is. It's a poem about, and I would say it's about the, I actually think it's kind of um, the basic core Jewish theology about God. That's how it strikes me. We'll read through it and we'll see if you agree or not. Okay, so, Baruch Shamar Vahayahulam, blessed is the one who spoke and the world was. That's literally what that means, meaning the world came into being. Baruch Hu, blessed is, we're, we're gendered in Hebrew. We're stuck with a gendered language with no 
neuter. So blessed is he, even though, of course, we probably would say, we moderns would probably say, God has no gender, although it's hard for us to uh, think that way, okay? Um, so again, a lot of times I'll say he, but I really mean God to be a gendered, but that is the word in Hebrew, and that's probably how the sages who wrote this thought of God as more masculine than feminine, let's put it that way. Um, so blessed is the one who spoke and the world came into being. Baruch Osev Reshit, blessed is the one who uh, enacted creation, made creation. Baruch Omer Ve'oseh, blessed is the one who says and performs. So these first three lines, I'm leaving out the Baruch Hu for a moment, Those for, for, these first three lines refer to what? What aspect of God? Not a trick question. Creator, creation. And by the way, you, if you um, looked at Breshit, at the opening chapter of Genesis, you would see the words Oseh vayas multiple times, and God made such and such. And you would say Omer vayomer. Okay, so the author of this poem in these lines clearly is referring you back to Breshit 1. He has Breshit chapter 1 in his mind and is using some vocabulary from Breshit, okay? From the first chapter creation story. And then it goes on. Baruch gozer um kayem. Blessed is the one who, so gozer in modern Hebrew means what? Ligzor. Anyone? Yeah, in modern Hebrew. Ligzor. To cut. To cut. And in rabbinic Hebrew, it means, who said it? To decree. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure why that is, right? Uh, we'd have to think about the connection. But a gezerah uh, in rabbinic Hebrew means an edict. It's an edict. It's as if the king, it's used in king languages, as if the king just kind of said, this is it. That's the decision. And he made some, I don't know, cutting motion the king made a cutting motion with the king's hand. Yeah? He cut off the discussion. Okay, I don't know. Yeah? Maybe the decree was, was in a scroll rolled up. And it was cut. So somehow or other, this word that means cut also means to decree. So blessed is the one who decrees and fulfills, meaning whatever God decrees, God fulfills. Okay? Um... Baruch Merachem al Haaretz, but is the one who has, Merachem we usually translate as compassion on, and I, I don't know that I would say Aretz here is world, uh, earth, I think it's world, but is the one who has compassion for the world. Baruch Merachem al Habriot, but is the one who has compassion for the creatures. Takes us back to Breshit and the word. Leave row. Breshit bara Elohim, God created, because briot is a noun word from the same um, verb. It means the creatures, the, the things that are created. Um, usually in rabbinic Hebrew, it means humans and animals. It usually doesn't include plants when they say briot. They're usually thinking about all, all living creatures, right? G generally, when we say all living creatures, like, what are you thinking of when you say that? In English. And all living creatures. 
You're probably thinking of humans and animals, and you're probably not thinking of trees, I'm guessing, even though technically trees are just as created as animals, right? Technically, you would include vegetative life and creatures, but that's not usually what we mean. Larry's disagreeing. I'm agreeing. Yeah, you're agreeing. And you're shaking your head sideways, right? So, um, right. So the briote means everything that's created, but it really means the creatures in the same way that we say creatures when we say it in English, okay? Baruch Mishalim Sachar Tov Av. So, sorry, sorry. So we have an aspect. So let's just talk about these three lines. So, Gozerum Kayem feels kind of different than Baruch Merachem, having compassion, right? Because Gozer, to set edicts, sounds somehow not. Harsh. Yeah, not as compassionate as having compassion. It sounds somehow harsher. It's that somehow, if, even if it's not um, punishment, by the way, sometimes a gzera is sort of a punishment, that kind of edict, and sometimes it means that's just the rule, okay? Because this is how I decided it. That's how it's used, again, in a lot of rabbinic lore, when if the king is making a gzera or if God is imagined as a king. It means God made a decision. That's the decision. So it's usually not similar to compassion. It's usually not, yeah, I made a decision. In Ashray, we don't say, God makes a decision. He provides food for all God's creatures. Right? We don't usually use that decision thing. So it seems like something harsher or at least neutral rulemaking. Hold on a second, Meyer. Whereas Merachem is clearly compassion, and we've said this a number of t- times, what's the root of Merachem? What does it come from? Rechem, which is a womb. So Rachamim literally means wombness, womb feeling. Um, this is um, a Hebrew, I'm going to call it a Hebrew linguistic residue of the reality that originally there was polytheism and there were lots of gods who governed different aspects of the world, creation and wisdom and death and fertility and the rains and the plants and et cetera, et cetera. And then in the radical biblical monotheization, all gods were collapsed into one god, which also means all of these forces were collapsed into one deity. All the different forces embodied and represented symbolically in the different deities were collapsed into one deity including the goddess. The goddess got collapsed into the one god, okay? Um, And that one god was envisioned as how, gender-wise? Male, because our our Hebrew ancestors of 2,500 or 3,000 years ago could not conceive of God differently. It was sort of, you know, patriarchy. That's how they imagined God. And so we end up with the linguistic quirk of the God who is called who, meaning him, has rachamim, womb feeling. The feeling that God has for God's creatures is the feeling, what's, what, what's suggested is the feeling that a mother has for her children. Right, that's what womb feeling is, kind of metaphorically speaking. Does that make sense? So that's just a little linguistic, historical, pointing out the thing that we take for granted all the time. We so-called God as Hanun Verachum, right? 
Av Harachamim. I love that. Av Harachamim, which means father of womb feelings. Father who is imbued with womb feelings. That is what Av Harachamim actually means. Right? Very quirky. If you actually really try to get in there and say what do those words mean and where they come from. It, it's so, it's so hardwired into our, to, our, our, our uh, prayer language that we don't stop to think about it. We don't stop to think, it's like, Avarachamim, merciful father, right? It's like, duh, we just, if you said to someone, what does that mean? Avarachaman, they would say merciful father, that's what it means, okay? And if you said to them, you know, does that strike you as odd? They'd say, no, it's like a father has mercy, right? So it's actually a, lingu a linguistic oddity, right? It's the father who has womb feeling, okay? Which comes from the fact that womb feeling, which maternalness, which presumably was once upon a time, thousands of years ago, mapped onto probably some female mother deity, fertility deity, the mother goddess, ends up being ascribed to the one deity in the radical Jewish monotheization collapsing of all the deities into one god. Does that make sense? Pause for questions or comments about that. Yeah. So then the, the line before with the Gozer and the Kayan yeah. would be the, the Marduk-like or male, if, if one wants to go there with this kind of uh -huh. analogy. Okay, you could. Because okay. it's the action-oriented okay. god. Okay. I, was, I thought you were going to go, that's a good thought. I thought you were going to go somewhere else. I thought you were going to go to, you were going to go like this, which for the mother was going to suggest to me the cutting of the umbilical cord. But you didn't go there. But I just did. Okay, Michael, then Debbie, then Larry. Don't we then make it pretty much express when we, when we talk about the Shekhinah? Yeah. Yes. The yes, yes, yes. Correct. So, so basically, the, uh, the, to, extrapolate later in time the attempt to um, fold all aspects of all the deities into one god and project that god as male was not permanently and fully successful. I believe Freud called that the return of the repressed. Okay, So then the female aspect of divinity kind of gets um, I, I don't want to say cleaved off because that's too strong a term but but reimagined as the Shekhinah, right? Which is not a biblical idea. That's kind of, the, um, the rabbis talk a lot about the Shekhinah as God's presence. They don't think of the Shekhinah all that much, I think, in rabbinic literature like Talmud times as specifically female, even though it's clearly a female word grammatically. It's really in the Kabbalah that the Shekhinah as God's female aspect comes to be uh, pronounced, right? And part of the disruption of the world is that the, the Shekhinah is, which is one of the ten aspects of God, is separated from another constellation of aspects of God, which is perceived as male, and when we do meet throat, we're trying to reunite the male and female um, um, principles. In other words, we're trying to heal, when you do a mitzvah in Kabbalah, uh, you're, when you're enacting a mitzvah, you are doing an act that attempts to heal some breach in the universe and as God. Some breach between male and female. It's pretty heavy, actually. Okay, but we but we're not gonna we're not gonna go further into Kabbalah because there 
there are Ashkenazim here under the age of 40. So, <laughs> okay, Debbie. I think so, I said Debbie and then Larry. Yeah. I just imagine the Merachim as all the gods kind of coming together and rebirthing, to use the, the womb. Oh, they're, they're not actually compassioning their, uh, your, your understanding, wombing as, as birthing, which, which goes with the, the, the Amar and the Gozer. Then that makes it all about creation, or at least this part is still about creation. Good. That's another way of looking at it. I hadn't thought of that. Great. Larry? I want to make the break someplace else and not go in the feminist direction. Yes. I oppose it, just not go there. Yeah. I think the first four are talking about how God acts in the in the universe. And he acts by speaking. Yes. Shema, uh, Omer Gosei, Gozer is he decrees. Yes. He decrees yes. and fulfills. Can, can, you, can, you can I pause you for a moment? Which is the, the vision of God which is described in Breshi chapter 1, right? The, the first, as we call it, the first creation story, Breshi chapter 1, is described God creates abstractly, as opposed to Breshi chapter 2. What is God doing in Breshi chapter 2, right? Then he's taking the dust of the earth and he's breathing into it. That's the much more physical earthy version of creation, whereas chapter one is the much more abstract version of creation. It's just God speaks and it is. God is not fashioning anything in chapter one. In the second creation story, God is described as actually, uh, you know, like in the, in, the, in the clay studio, as it were, making stuff. That's what it sounds like. Okay, go on. Yep. So abstract creator is in the first four lines. Yep. And then the God that cares in the next three. Uh-huh. Merachim, twice. And then the one we didn't get to, Mishalim God who pays off Pay. to those who revere God, yeah, gives a good reward. Good, good wages for rabbis. Uh-huh. Well, good so wages. It's a narrower, it's a narrower focus. It's not all the it's not all the world. It's not even all the creatures. They just have this compassion. Yeah. But those of us, yeah. you, yeah. who are... Were you joking, were you joking about rabbis? Because I, I, I don't think it refers... I think it refers to all those who are God-referenced. Right, no, I was. Okay, right, yes. Paying a wage, I was saying... Okay, yes. That, that's your, your slogan for it, good wages for rabbis, by which you mean reward for those who are God-reverent. That's what you mean, right? Okay, yeah. And we'll get in a minute to the ending. Right. So that's why I see the... Okay, point. and the ending is Baruch Ad V'Kayam Lanetzach. Blessed is the one who lives forever and exists forever. Chai and Kayam are kind of uh, loosely synonymous, and La'ad and Lanetzach are loosely synonymous. Uh, I'm sure our English has different ways. Or lives forever, endures eternally. Okay, that's just our English translator wanted to have two different ways of saying existing forever, the same way in Hebrew it's said in two different ways. Baruch Pode Umatzil, blessed is the one who redeems and saves Baruch Shemo. Now I just want to comment briefly on the Baruchu and the Baruch Shemo. So notice Baruchu and Baruch Shemo are the two things that don't exactly fit, right? Because they don't say God, blessed is the one who did something. They just say Baruchu means blessed is he, and Baruch Shemo is blessed is his, is his name. And I, I remember reading somewhere. I can't remember where, 
Uh, does it say that in the margin there? Oh, you don't have the, the notes. No, so I'm just commenting. Yeah, there's, yeah so there is some, there. right, so there's some manuscript version of this prayer, not from a Siddur, but from some other source in the early Middle Ages or the Gaonic period, where it's actually written with Baruch Hu or Baruch Shemo after each line. In other words, as a litany, hi, we're finishing in two minutes, two or three minutes. As a litany, you can set up, come on in. As a litany, as a litany, this suggests either that you said Baruch Hu, Baruch Shemo after each line, or maybe that a Chazan was the one who said Baruch Shemar Vayaulam, and then the Kahal said Baruch Hu, Baruch Omer Baruch Shemo, just as if you are with certain of the PU team on the high holidays, like let's pick an easy one, Hashem Melech, Hashem Malach, Hashem Yimloch, even if you don't have a Sidur in front of you, right, or you can't read the Hebrew, you're still able to know the Kahal's refrain, right? Hashem Melech, Hashem Malach, Hashem Yimloch, it's easy, it's memorable, it recurs, okay, you don't have to be a scholar to know it. So given, remember, there were no printed Sidurim, originally, and there might not even have been manuscripts. People who led davening sort of knew the davening by heart. Uh, the ordinary folks might not have known all of this by heart, and they certainly did not have a text in front of them. Even if there were manuscripts, maybe the Chazan had a manuscript or a codex, but the people in the Kahal did not have a manuscript in front of them. So maybe this was just a beginning poem that the Chazan would be listing aspects of God, how God functions in the world, and um, the Kahal would just refrain either Baruch Hu or Baruch Shemo, or I think, Larry, the way we have it print, printed in our in the new one is alternating Baruch Hu and Baruch right. Shemo. And right. Even, even, comments, even comments on it in the second comment. Say, read the comment, please. Baruch Hu, blessed be the one. The last line in the directory call and response reads Baruch Shemo. Blessed be the divine name. Taken together, the first, first two words of the response and the last two words of the series form the phrase Baruch Hu and Baruch Shemo. Which we say whenever we hear a Blessing. bracha, right? Baruch Atah Hashem, Baruch Hu Baruch Shemo. Although a lot of times we just say no, right? Um, it's commonly used response huh? upon, hearing, upon hearing the name of God. Practices differ as to the call and response during the recitation of this poem, a version that has recently become popular includes reciting the words printed here in gray because I have stigmatism. I can't tell which is the gray. Yeah. But your wife's telling yeah. me that, that this is... Baruch Hu Baruch Shema. Right. right, right. By the way, I think, re I suspect recently has become oh, okay. popular might mean in that newer Sidur that the author is saying I printed it that way in my Sidur. Because I'm not <laughs> sure it was... I, I'm, I'm not aware of it becoming popular anywhere or being printed anywhere in modern times earlier than the Sidur which came, the conservative Sidur which came out a few years ago. But there is something about some ancient manuscript. I want to call time, to respect time. Uh, Meyer, we'll start out next time. But next time we're not gonna move forward right away. I wanna take a few minutes to kind of review this, uh, kind of the sequence of these theological ideas about God. Larry put it together in one way, but we'll take some minutes to say, like, like why these things and why this order and what does that mean? and then we'll move on to the second.